I think that any leader needs to make room for teams to be irrational and to take risk and to not always make decisions based off of data. Welcome to the Super Managers Podcast, where we interview leaders from all walks of life to tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings, and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams collaborate on meeting agendas, track action items, and turn chaotic meetings into productive work sessions. Check it out at www.fellow.app. Hey, fellow managers and leaders, I'm Aiden, and I'm the CEO of fellow.app. Today's guest is Kyle Lacey. He serves the marketing team at Lessonly as the chief marketing officer. Prior to Lessonly, Kyle grew his leadership skills at Exact Target, Salesforce, and OpenView. In today's episode, Kyle shares how to communicate ideas in an effective way and why he believes the best ideas come from irrationality. We also talked about servant leadership and the difference between job growth and career growth. Lastly, Kyle shares how he encourages cross-collaboration with his team and why you should always be looking towards the future. If you found this episode helpful to your leadership journey, let us know by using the hashtag supermanagers on social media. Now, without further ado, here's Kyle Lacey on episode 57 of the Supermanagers podcast. Kyle, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be uh, this is going to be super fun for those that are who are just listening in and not watching. Uh, I was I felt very welcomed in the beginning of this conversation because there's literally like a picture of a superhero in, in the background there. I thought that you did that just because you were on the Supermanagers podcast, but it turns out that you like superheroes there. I love love superheroes. It's a it's a great it's one of the illustrations from our CEO's book, and that we have them in every conference room at Lessonly. Yeah, that's amazing. I like that. Um, so, Kyle, there's a lot that we're going to dive into. You've obviously had an extensive leadership career yourself. You've been at Salesforce, OpenView Venture Partners, and today you're CMO at Lessonly. And before we dive in, I wanted to start by asking you, who has been the most memorable manager that you've had in, in your career and why? Oh, man. Um, probably... The guy that I reported to at Exact Target, Jeff Roars. Um, I think that I think to be a good leader, you have to be a good storyteller in order for people to want to follow you and want to follow ideas. Um, and Jeff Roars is one of the best storytellers that I know. He hired me at Exact Target, and he he basically gave me he taught me the value of storytelling as well as. Uh, just giving somebody free reign to do what they want and be a very hands-off leader. I think the best managers and the best leaders are very hands-off with their teams. And as long as they're hiring the right people, then 
giving their team the bandwidth to do something is important. So that's super interesting. Tell me more about storytelling. Cause like, you know, for senior leadership in a company, I can, I can kind of see and imagine that. And, you know, this is the company's vision. This is what we're doing. How does that work for all levels of leadership? Say like your first line manager, like what does that look like? Well, I, I think that it's just, it, it, it's how do you, um, communicate ideas and communicate it in a way that's meaningful. So people agree with doing the idea, especially in marketing, right? Like that's hands down. It's very important. They agree with going along with it and they believe in it. And I, I, the best leaders, the best managers that I've ever come across can communicate effectively and storytelling is just one of those ways to do that. Right. If you can, if you can tell, a story appropriately, you're going to be great at marketing, but you're also going to be good at leading teams because they'll follow you and they'll remember. Yeah. So I guess it's more about like understanding the why versus just like, Hey, let's just go do this. Yeah. Or just, or just, you know, being a little bit, uh, I'm a firm believer that being a little bit irrational, you know, drives creativity in teams and, and story and using stories to drive productivity using stories to drive messaging, using stories to drive campaigns can, you know, a little bit of irrationality is important for teams, especially for creativity. So, and you said irrationality, right? Oh yeah. Being irrational. Tell me about that. Like that's not typically a thing that I, that we normally hear. Like what does it mean to be irrational? I'm going to butcher the name of this book. Uh, but it's, it's basically, how do you how do you make decisions on what to do while using data, but also being a little bit irrational? So a lot of the best ideas come from irrationality. So, you know, there's a direct mail piece that you think is going to work because the data shows it's going to work and you did a focus group and all that. And then you come to find out that the actual rational idea that you didn't test performed better. I think that any leader needs to needs to make room for teams to be irrational and to take risk and to not always make decisions based off of data. And that's kind of, and it's from, it's from a book by Rory Sutherland. He wrote something like The Lost Genius of Irrationality. It's like a TED Talk that he gave, The Psychology of Irrationality, uh, How to Be Less Rational. You kind of get in the... Yeah, he's it, president at he's president at Ogilvy, Rory Sutherland. Yeah, yeah, he he did have a new book as well. Um, I'm gonna yeah, and I, I recently read it and and well, wh- whenever it came out, and and I thought it was it was great. Yeah, we have to look that up and and put that in the Alchemy. show. Alchemy, yes. Yeah, what an incredible book. So, so that's really interesting. So storytelling. So you kick off your career. And this is one of the things that you notice in, in, in one of the managers that you like the most. And so now, when did you start leading a team yourself? And like, what were some of the mistakes that you made early on? Uh, so it was at Exact Target. I was a year in. I mean, this is outside of this is a the professional setting. I had started an agency before Exact Target. And we had employees, but this was right after I graduated college. It was just a not like. Uh, me, me as a 25 year old manager was not a good situation in general, but at exact target, we were, we built out a content marketing team in 2011 or I'm yeah, 2011. And, um, let's see mistakes. Oh man. I think, 
I think the biggest mistake that I made early on was was placing too much of my self-worth and ego into the role and not enough and not having enough empathy for teams, for the team, for the teammates, right? It was basically very much around what I thought was a great idea, what I thought would catapult me into more leadership, more responsibility. Like I, I was always asking for responsibility because it fed the ego. It wasn't necessarily that it was a good idea at the time. And I, and I've learned over the years that in order to survive in a high growth software environment, you need to be very aggressive. And if you don't have the empathy side of managing teams, then you're going to burn people out all the time. You're not going to be able to grow a team that can, that can um, scale. So that was empathy is one thing that I failed miserably at when I was a first time manager. I just didn't have it. So I'd, I'd love to dive into an example on that. So for example, what's the sort of thing that, um, you know, the, a responsibility that you shouldn't have taken on or, or just an example of what that might look like. So people have better pattern recognition to be able to see that sure. in themselves. Sure. So I, so half my time was spent speaking at conferences and the other half was spent at running this content marketing team. When I had the choice of what I would do, I usually picked the speaking engagements because it was more ego friendly for me. So if I had if I had a choice, hey, team offsite or you're speaking at this uh, email marketing summit, I would go speak the email marketing summit and the team would still function. That's an example of putting myself over the team. And then there would be situations where uh, somebody would be burnt out or they they were signaling that they were close to it or and I just didn't uh, I didn't understand how to see that. And I also didn't care that much, which is not empathetic at all, which I have changed <laughs> over the years. But those are some examples. Yeah. And, and so what are like what are some ways to to watch out for? Um, you know, people burning out. I, I go back to the original thing that you said as well, just like on storytelling, uh, because it sounded like when you first started, you you almost had like a, here are all the things that we need to do. Um, and then just getting the team to operate and, and, and do those things. And, and like, can that lead to burnout? Or if they understand the why behind why they're doing things, maybe that's that's a different approach yeah yeah if they if you're if they believe in what you're doing they're gonna have they're gonna have more bandwidth both mental as well as physical bandwidth just to get stuff done because they believe in it they believe in the in the um, the idea you can never trust somebody's ability to tell you they're gonna burn out so as a manager a leader you asking somebody if they're burning out is not the best way to do it what I've found over the years and and is that and this goes to storytelling is that I will say that I'm close or I will be very open, especially last year, 2020, just very open with the team saying I'm taking a half day because I need, I need it. Cause I'm about to, you know, I'm about to uh, burn out. And when you do that, the teams actually will be more open and honest with each other as well as their managers. And as well as you with you, because you're the one who started it. I think a lot of times managers give too much too much rope for people when when they like we're assuming that everybody's going to come to you and say I need a half day. And that's not realistic at all because nobody no no individual contributor is going to go to you and say that, right? So telling stories about how I was feeling, how I was burning out, how 
how my peers were feeling that I were talking to just helped. And, and it, it really set the stage for people to say, hey, I'm also in that, I'm also feeling that way. And it just opened, opened a dialogue that wasn't there before. So I don't know if you can, I don't know if there's like examples of like, oh, hey, they missed the deadline or they look tired. Um, cause I just don't think that's realistic. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I love the, just leading by example and then doing things that seem okay. I mean, would you recommend to people that they almost, even if they're not on the verge of burnout to do things like that occasionally so that it does offer signaling? Yes, absolutely. And it could be, it, it doesn't have to be just burnout. It could be anything. It could be like, it could be, I had a I had a rough conversation with my wife. My kids are being crazy. Like being human goes a long way when it comes to empathy and building a strong team is that, look, it's, it's, I get the whole, you know, work-life balance maybe, but bringing, bringing your personal life to work and your mental, like mental health checks and all that stuff is so important to building a team that can scale appropriately. It's not just somebody who's really good at a specific role, like search engine optimization or ad campaigns or whatever. It's that they can bring their whole self to work and do it in a way that's meaningful. It reminds me of something that you have. You posted on LinkedIn recently, which is, I serve the marketing team at Lessonly. So tell us about what it means to, to serve the team versus like have, have the team serve you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of leaders have the team serve them. So I, I, this came from a guy named Andrew Robinson, AR3. He was a, he was an engineering and product leader at Lessonly. And he, that's how he would uh, introduce himself at, at any function. He was like, I serve the product and engineering team at Lessonly. And it was more just around servant leadership. It's like, you are there as a manager to support the people who work for you. They're not there to support your rise in getting promotions and stuff. I mean, that's that's a very simplistic way to talk about servant leadership. There are plenty of amazing books to read on servant leadership, but for me, it's I exist and I am here to make sure that the team that I am supporting succeeds at what they do, and that's my job as a CMO. So when it comes to serving people, it's what is what can I do to make sure that obstacles have been moved out of the way for the team to get done what they need to do and, and serve them in that way. Not, Hey, can I just delegate stuff all the time and make sure that it's done? Cause the best ideas are coming from the bottom up, not top down. So how does that relate then to uh, goal setting and like where the direction uh, for the team comes from? Especially when you say like the best ideas come from bottoms up. Mm -hmm. We have company objectives. You have team objectives that are set by management. But then the way that we do it at Lessonly, at least the marketing team, we have our revenue objectives. And then the teams are meant to come up with ideas to support those revenue objectives. So it's really up to the, the, uh, the individual contributors and the managers of each business unit to say, this is what we think we need to do in order to hit these goals. It's not, uh, it's not us in an ivory tower saying you need to do X, Y, and Z. It's a very community-driven approach to it, um, but it, it's, it's more collaborative than anything else. Yeah, and that makes sense. And like, how do, how do the cycles around that work? So for example, is that sort of on an annual cadence? I'm just trying to get a... You know, you're, you mentioned you're about like 250 or so employees there right now. So at that kind of like scale, 
Uh, wh- what does the planning look like? You've got an annual company objectives that, that are set at the beginning of the year. Um, and we do that usually over December because we're February fiscal. So our year starts in February. And then each team lead, each executive member comes up with, with their team quarterly objectives that align to the company objectives. And then individual contributors have their personal objectives that then line up all the way up to the top of the company objectives. So it's 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 not quite as intense as like Salesforce's V2 Mom, which I highly recommend anyone check out because it's brilliant how they set that up internally. Um, but it is it is a bottom and it kind of meets in the middle. Like the, the personal objectives of each individual, the company objectives, and then the team objectives in the middle kind of support everyone. Cool. That that makes a lot of sense. So so we've talked about now like the the goal setting, uh, serving the team. One of the other things that you also talk about is uh, you know the difference between job growth and career growth. Uh, one of the things that you say is that you've really got to care about your team's career growth. What is the difference between job and, and career in that case? I, I think it, I think it's very much dependent on the job that you're in and the career that you're in. In venture back software, you like companies are created and die within two to five to 10 years. Like there isn't a, this is my parents. I worked with somebody for 55 years in some manufacturing plant, right? You're going to have 10 jobs by the time you retire or you just keep working, right? So for me with my team, it's very much a supporting of a career because the job at Lessonly is finite, right? It will, they will work Lessonly will succeed or fail, and then they'll go on to the next role. And for me, I, I've, I've talked to way too many people that put their head down and do not create a community or a network that don't talk to people outside of their companies. And when the job ends, they don't have a career to back it up. They, they, they pick their head up and they're like, oh, where do I go now? But if you work on building a community around a career, so like if you want to be an account executive at Lessonly, you should also be talking to a bunch of account executives and account and sales managers at other software companies. Because just in case it doesn't work out a lessonly, you have the opportunity to go to these other places because you've built relationships there. I don't think a lot of people, I, 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 I know a lot of people don't think that way. Like it's, it does not come natural that you would go talk to other companies. Uh, so that's what I mean is that you 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 want to succeed at your job. We hired you for a role to do, and we want you to hit those metrics and those KPIs. But the reality is, is that your career might not necessarily be at left. You know, your next job might not be here. So you need to think very proactively about that. And then I help if if we have people, if we have other companies trying to poach my teammates, I'll talk them through the deals, their offers, and I'll give them a straight up answer on whether I think it's a good career move or not. And and we've had people leave Lessonly because at least the marketing team, because the deal was great and it was a good opportunity for them. Yeah, that's a that's a very like good kind of like long-term approach uh, to take there and certainly not like very typical, like you said. Um, are you then also doing things like um, you know, career check-ins with people, so for example, like in your one-on-ones or or how do you schedule like how do you make sure that while they are at Lesson Lead, they are also uh, able to like get to their career objectives too. 
even at the company? There's a couple things that we we are implementing. It's not perfect, but we have a we have a product called Skills where we are building skills matrix for each individual on the team to develop skills towards their career. And then I meet with every individual quarterly for 30 minutes. So at the first two weeks of every quarter, I basically, I have 45, 30 minute meetings basically. And wow. we are talking about their, their career in those meetings. And I'm asking them like, who did you meet last quarter? How are you, how do you feel about this field marketing role compared to this account executive role? That's, that's kind of how we approach it. We've had, we've played around with like objectives related to career, but it's really around enabling somebody in the role that they want so if an SDR on the marketing team wants to become an account executive, if they hit certain goals, they get to go into account executive enablement. So there's a lot of different things that we do. But for me personally, I am, I'm spending at least 30 minutes every three months with each team member talking about it. Yeah. And so this is across the organization. Obviously, like you don't have 45 people directly uh, reporting to you, but you're, you're actually meeting with everybody then. Yeah, all 45 people on the marketing team. Yeah. At least once a quarter. And and so, how does it work in terms of like the? I'm, I'm just thinking for the the agenda for this meeting. Is it that they come to you and say like, "Here's what we think our goals are," or like what happens in those thirty minutes? We 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 definitely follow the the start stop continue like what what and they bring that agenda and then I will bring the more career conversation. So the first fifteen minutes we'll be talking about the past quarter. Like, how do they feel? What should we start? What should we stop? What should we continue as a team, as well as me as a leader? And then the last 15 minutes, and this is not a perfect science, but the last 15 minutes, we usually talk about how are you thinking about the career? Last quarter, you said you want to become an account executive, but I've seen you meeting with the field marketing team. Like, how do you feel about that? Like, what have you, how many people did you meet outside in the community? You know, how many peers did you meet? So it's more... It's not, it's not necessary career development as much as it is network development, community development for the most part. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you, you're then spending a lot of time, you talked about all, all the meetings you're having, but you're, you're probably ending up doing prep work for all these things as well. So this is like a significant effort. Yes. Yeah. And look, I, I mean, we've all, we, you and I both have been in situations where you know, especially in a town like Indianapolis, where Lessonly is one of the larger software companies right now outside of Salesforce, which has a huge office here, you're going to be working with this pe- these people again at some point, right? That That's just reality. You know, we we hire the best and we want them to be the best. And and I don't, you, you cannot be the best at what you do without thinking about community development and networking and meeting people outside of your office. I mean, it's just, it's something that I have, my dad taught me very early on. And it's, it has been a huge part of my success over the past 10 years. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's no way, I mean, it's such a great way to show people that you really, really care. And, and I think that that comes across. And I, I love this, just the idea of playing the long game, because you're right, like careers are winding and uh, you come across a lot of people. Yeah, look, I, I when I met, a gentleman named Scott Dorsey, who, who was the CEO of exact target when I was 25 and I was running an agency, it was a mess. I had no idea what to do. I had met him for like five minutes at a net, at an event. And I randomly emailed him out of the blue and said, Hey, 
would you take some time to talk to me about a problem I'm having in my business? Keep in mind, he at the time, exact target, over 100 million in ARR. Like they are just killing it. And he talked to me for 45 minutes driving home one night about, he didn't even know me. <laughs> he had no idea who I was. And he has been an integral part of my entire career. Like I joined Exact Target because of that. I went to OpenView because OpenView was an investor in Exact Target. Um, Lessonly, Scott's on the board at Lessonly. OpenView is an investor in Lessonly. And every time I have a major inflection in my career, I will call Scott and talk to him about it. And if I can do that for just a handful of people, like that's what I want. I think that's true. I think that is true servant leadership. If you can do that and you are, you're selfless with your time with the people that are reporting to you. I mean, it just makes so much sense that that's what a leader should be and do. Yeah, no, I, I love that story. That That's so incredible. Uh, and yeah, and I, I, I love it. I love it all. It's, it, it's basically like really the showing servant leadership, like you said, um, so just, I guess, like, and, and this is related too, right? So one of the things that we, we kind of also talked about uh, in this conversation, which is uh, not trying to do it all yourself. Um, and so, like you said, a lot of the ideas come from, from others. And, and I, I feel like this is a thing that um, a lot of new managers ha- have an issue with, right? You just get promoted into the role and you go from like maker to manager and uh and then you want to feel productive so you want to you know be doing more things and uh, walk us through that like how do you how do you make sure that you're not trying to do it all oh well um i think it's i think it's how you manage time number one and it really depends on what level you are and i think it's i think it's more about forward looking type um type projects than it is getting getting tactical and granular, like getting into the marketing automation software and looking at the analytics, right? You, you have a teammate that should probably be doing that for you. But for first-time managers, I encourage them to set at least 20%, 25% of your week should be spent looking six months in advance. Like what, what are you going to be doing? What, are your, what is your team going to be doing six months from now? And then as you move up to director level, senior director, VP, executive, that time frame just gets larger. And so for me, most of my time is spent thinking about next year and how I can support the team. I'm not doing very many tactical things because as the company grows, you've got your, it's your responsibility, like we talked about before, to remove obstacles. So, but I think it's how you structure your week. Like if you, if you haven't spent time, I mean, Deep Work's a great book by Cal Newport, right? When it just has to do with just productivity and time management. If you haven't structured your week appropriately and you don't have work blocks and you understand what you're going to be doing, you're going you're gonna to float back into the tactical because it's going to give you a dopamine hit when you set up an email to send. And that's, and that's the reality, right? It's like we feel... We want to end the day feeling like we did something. And the way you do that from a strategic person, you know, when you're thinking about strategy is that you have work blocks that, hey, I'm going to spend 60 minutes tomorrow thinking about Q4 and how we do X. And once that 60 minutes is up and I have a bunch of ideas, great, I accomplished something. So I think it's, I think too many times managers don't structure their time appropriately 
and then they they always just flow back to what they 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 were doing beforehand. Hey there, before moving to the next part of the interview, quick interjection to tell you about one of the internet's best kept secrets, the Manager TLDR newsletter. So every two weeks, we read the best content out there, the greatest articles, the advice, the case studies, whatever the latest and greatest is, we summarize it and we send it to your inbox. We know you don't have the time to read everything, but because we're doing the work, we'll summarize it and send it to your inbox once every two weeks. And the best news, it's completely free. So go on over to fellow.app slash newsletter and sign up today. And with that said, let's go back to the interview. You know, I love the the way that you put it, which is like when, when you're a first line manager, maybe you're spending 20% of your time and then that increases. And then when you get to your level, now it's like about next year. Um, so how do these time blocks effectively work? I'm very curious about, you know, what your calendar looks like. Is it is it like 60 minutes of strategy like every day or uh, what about firefighting? Yeah, so I, um, my time blocks are usually between four and 6 a.m. Wow, that's early. Because the reality, the, yeah, well, I just, I'm an early riser, but the reality is, is that I don't have, because of removing obstacles, firefighting, sitting in exec meetings, like having calls with team members, I have five, four direct reports. Um, I don't have the luxury of having 60 minutes in the day to do that, but I don't because I want my team to be able to do that. Right. Like I, I don't want I don't want my managers to be so busy that they can't have thinking like we just we're dealing with this right now. Like a lot of my a lot of my direct reports are in meetings all day and we've had discussions as a management team saying this is not this. This cannot be the way we do this because you are not thinking strategically. You're thinking about how do I accomplish 10 Zoom calls in a you know, from nine to five. So. As an executive, I think it's your job to remove those obstacles so your direct reports and the reports under them have the opportunity to have deep work every day. And so for me, if I'm thinking about next year, I'll set aside 90 minutes, but it, but it's not every week. I'll do, I'll do it once every other week or once a month where I'm just alone and I don't have the phone on or anything so that I can think. But outside of that, it's it's pretty much meeting to meeting. I think that's super helpful for, for people to kind of get a sense of what it looks like, um, you know, at your level, at, at, at that kind of company size. I, I assume you must have also systems, though, because I, I find that, like, can it be difficult to say, OK, go 90 minutes, all ideas must come now versus like, um, I, I guess you're probably also jotting things down and but like leaving time to think about them deeply during, during those periods. So I have like a parking lot. I use, uh, I highly recommend a remarkable tablet. I don't know if you've used it, but it's basically a note taking tablet. And I have a, a notebook in there. That's just parking lot ideas where I'll randomly jot down stuff. So it will either be time spent thinking about the, some of the ideas it there, or it will be a chat, like an opportunity for improvement, a challenge, right? Like, Hey, and a team isn't performing well, or pipe gen is low, or we've got a huge uh, product launch that's happening that we think is going to happen 12 months from now. And then so that 
So the systems around that, I'm not very systematic to begin with. It's more just me laying out what the challenge is and then trying to come up with as many ideas as possible for my team to vet. Because it's really, they're going to be the ones that are going to say, hey, love those ideas, but they're not realistic. Or they're going to say, hey, that one idea that you came up with out of the five makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense. So the other thing about marketing in particular is that, I mean, all departments, but you know, mar- marketing definitely has a lot of um, cross-functional collaboration that happens, right? You're, and it sounds like in your team, you have some salespeople um, as well, or so sales type functions. Um, but certainly marketing like works with everybody in the company. And so one of the things that I'm curious about is, you know, how you encourage collaboration, um, you know, amongst teams, like teams that are in your company, like basically under your organization, like how do you make sure that collaboration is happening with the other teams and, and they really understand each other and build empathy? Yeah. So we, uh, we actually have pretty strong systems in place for alignment. It's kind of, it's the best way to describe this. It's, this is very tactical, but we have a revenue effectiveness team and a revenue operations team that kind of lives in the center of our revenue teams. So CX, sales, uh, support, or um, services and marketing. And they are responsible on alignment. And so what we have is my managers are meeting with their peers at least bi-weekly. We have a weekly funnel and pipeline meeting with all revenue leaders where we're talking about what happened last week, what does the quarter look like, how's the forecast looking, how is pipe gen, all that stuff. Quarterly, we have a revenue and experience summit where it's where it's basically a quarter, a QBR, but each man each business unit leader is responsible for talking to each other on setting up objectives for the quarter. And then it's and then it's making sure that when I'm meeting one on one with my managers weekly, we're talking about, hey, who did you meet with last week? Is there any, you know, what start, stop, continue we use all the time. And that's that's kind of how we align and it's weekly. And that's so that, but the revenue ops team is the one that runs all this stuff. And because they are the they are the data. And then the revenue effectiveness side is the training and enablement. Like what do we need to do? in terms of just deal support or demo support or uh, onboarding, all this stuff. And so we, it's kind of, they're the hub to the, sp- the revenue spokes, which is terrible visualization. Uh, us talking about storytelling, I can't tell a, can't tell a very creative story there, but that's kind of how we do it from alignment perspective. Yeah, so I think what's interesting about that is like, I, I'm curious to to know when, for example, you created some of those meetings or irregular cadences. Um, I, I assume that like you, was it a, you just came in and you said, well, these are the things that need to happen. So let, let's put these things in place. Or was it, hey, we have this problem. And so this needs to be looked at, say, on, on a certain cadence. Well, I think that uh, the funnel and pipeline meeting, I I helped implement the first year I was at Lessonly, so 2017. And that's because we weren't, nobody was looking at anything. Now this was, this was pre 5 million at ARR. So it's, it's kind of, there wasn't anything in place to, 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 uh, to, to check where we were at. Right. Um, so I would, I would say that that was probably the challenge is that there wasn't any, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't any meeting where everybody that owned revenue was in the room. Um, the revenue experience summit, we've only done it once. Uh, it's fairly new. And I think it just, 
it was mostly just around uh, there wasn't a lot of communication between frontline managers and then directors and VPs with each other. And everybody was kind of setting objectives separately. And, and you know, that's okay with 100 people. That's okay when everybody's in Indy. But when you're hiring 50 Indianapolis, where we're headquartered, I guess we should probably say that. Um, when you're hiring 50 to 80 people a quarter, and most of them are remote, you, you have to have some type of vehicle to make sure that objectives are aligned because individual contributors or even frontline managers, um, it's going to get just too chaotic because there's just so many people that you, you, you know, you're onboarding or that have been here, but they have objectives that they need to hit. Yeah, no, I think that that's super helpful and 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 gives everyone kind of like a, a sense of the systems that need to to be put in place at you know various growth stages. Uh, speaking of growth stages, you spent some time at OpenView, uh, which is a venture uh, capital firm. What lessons do you think that like it helped you learn from going from like a, a you know a, an operating company? It sounds like you were part of Exact Target when it was acquired by Salesforce, so. Uh, you've certainly been through hypergrowth at different companies, a large company, um, going to OpenView, and now you know a scale up. So, curious what lessons you learned uh, during your OpenView time. Personally, I learned how I learned alignment because at a venture capital firm, you have basically the partners are your boss, right? So you have like seven bosses, or eight, depending on how big the firm is. So making sure that everybody was heard and everybody was aligned was very important. I learned that firsthand at OpenView. Um, the other, the, the most important thing that I applied at Lessonly was, was what different stages of growth looked like. Like what, what team structures looked like at a Series A, sub-50 employees. What does a team structure look like if you had just raised $100 million and you've got to hire 100 people? That was probably the most valuable thing and just talking to peers. Like I, being part of a venture capital firm that has an operating team, you're looking at 20 different portfolio companies and how those leaders, you know, are scaling and some of them are doing well and some of them aren't. So you get to see all of those different examples. That was probably the most important thing. I, I like to say exact target was, I mean, I, the year I joined, we hired 500 people. I'm pretty sure. So it wasn't like it didn't matter. Like we, I could have got in there and just failed completely the whole time. And exact target would have still IPO. They still would have bought two companies and they would have been bought by Salesforce. So when I got to open view, I got, I basically got a master's degree in software and high growth SaaS. And that's, and that it's the best two years that I've spent. And it, and it really set me up for success here because I got to see it firsthand. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Like just that kind of pattern recognition. And I guess for people who, maybe can't work at uh, venture firms. Uh, I mean, your community approach and meeting people with other, at other companies is, I mean, you have to do it. Go meet, go meet with people at a venture capital firm. Like I, like I, there's, it's not like they're in an ivory tower, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to build a network just like you are. Right. So, you know, I, I just think that the more people that you meet, as long as you're being productive with your time, like you shouldn't have 10 zoom calls a day where you're just meeting people. Like you have a job. Make sure you do your job, but it's so important to meet people because you you will be a better employee and you'll be a better person because you're just learning more. Like I, I spend a lot of time with peers, with other CMOs at all different stages of growth because 
you you'll walk away from the conversation learning something and that's so important yeah i th- I, th- I think that's that's amazing and so you know it sounds like you meet with a lot of people do you also have and i think like the founder uh of exact target was was one of those kind of like mentor folks for you do you have other people in your circle that also serve kind of like a mentorship role i i do have a a uh I, want, I don't want to say a career coach because he'd probably make fun of me for saying it, but Ganto, who led marketing for Auth0, who's now at, a, at, at more of like a growth stage company, he, I meet with him bi-weekly to talk about marketing. And then, you know, a lot of us are, are involved in Revenue Collective, which is a community of, of execs, high growth execs. And if I have a question or I have a problem, I'm usually going to Revenue Collective and talking to four or five CMOs that might have dealt with something in the past that I'm dealing with today. So for me, it's I have my chosen few people that I've worked with for a long time. And then I, I definitely have a career coach when it comes to, well, don't tell him I said he's a career coach, but he's he's been coaching me over the past month. Yeah, no, that that's more, more maybe a growth growth coach. That's a better. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. No. That's that's awesome. Um, you know, Kyle, this has been super valuable. So many different insights, and like certainly from like different stages of companies, and like we've kind of started from, you know, when you first started leading teams to all the way now leading, um, being CMO at at Lessonly. Uh, one of the questions that we ask all of the uh, guests on the show is for all the managers and leaders looking to up-level and get better at their craft of managing and leading teams, um, are there any you know books or resources or tips or tricks or just parting words of wisdom that you would leave them with? This is going to sound self-serving, but I'm going to say it anyway. Do Better Work, by, it's a book by Max Yoder. It's our CEO. It is the one of the best books on leadership I've ever read. It has nothing to do with Lessonly. It has everything to do with our values as a company and how he built the value, the foundation. And it's all, it's chock full of great stories on servant leadership, nonviolent communication, doing your best work, you know, um, sharing before ready, all the values that we talk about at Lessonly. It is, it's a, it's, it's an hour and a half read. It's on Amazon, do better work. It's a, it, it is amazing. It's an amazing book. Highly recommend it. I've read it four times. Wow, four times. That that's that's pretty good. That's amazing advice, and and we'll uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, Kyle, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Super Managers Podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app/supermanagers. If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please, tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.